Praise the Lord, all you people of the earth. Praise the Lord, all you mountains and hills, all you wild animals and small creatures. Praise the Lord, all leaders and nations. May every created thing give praise to the Lord. The Lord is great in Zion, exalted over the peoples. Let them praise his great and awesome mercy. Holy is the Lord. 
Mighty King, lover of justice, you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Eternal God, creator of all that is and all that ever will be, you have made us to be your people. You have called us, led us, forgiven us, and renewed your call upon our lives. Gifted with such mercy and abundance, we are left with only one response, to offer you our thanks and our praise through Jesus Christ our Lord. joining us in this location and online. We want to welcome you here to First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. This welcome is offered to you on behalf of Christ, which means that there is no qualifying adjectives. All are welcome in this place. We want to invite you at this time to fill out the friendship pad at the end of the pew so that we might note your presence with us, both uh, members and guests and visitors alike. We also want to invite you to join us for a time of fellowship after worship right through these doors in Old Buttonwood Hall so that we might have time together to get to know one another and uh, be a community together. I want to share with you a couple of announcements. I'm going to essentially be reading through all of them, but invite you to read along to all that's going on in our community. First of all, I want to note that right after worship uh, today, our 20s and 30s group will be taking a trip to Glen Villa Orchards. We also have some room in our cars if anyone else would like to join us last minute. We'd love to have you with us. I want to point that tomorrow, a Lyric Fest will be happening here in this space, uh, Monday night at 7 p.m. Uh, $10 discounted tickets are available to members here if you'd like to join us for that. Uh, next Sunday after worship on October 29th uh, will be our first listening session with the Music Director Search commi uh, Committee. You're invited to join us after worship so that we can hear your feedback and thoughts as we look for this important role in our community. We also want to invite you for two Sundays from now uh, to be preparing and thinking about All Saints uh, Communion Sunday. Uh, we invite you to share with us anyone who may have passed in the past year who you would like to be recognized during this service. We invite you to send in those names so that we uh, can acknowledge their uh, importance in our lives. We also want to note that we are in the process of uh, creating a membership uh, class uh, here at First Church. If you're interested in joining this community, I want to invite you to reach out to me or to Baron, and we'd love to tell you uh, about our upcoming class coming in November, uh, depending on people's availability. I invite you to look at all of the announcements in our bulletin and to join with us as we continue to worship God. The psalmist tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God, who spoke the rest of creation into being, knelt over us and formed us from the mud and breathed God's own breath into us. As God's beloved, useful, and redeemed creation, 
let us offer ourselves to God in candor as we confess those aspects of our lives standing in need of God's repair, first in unison and then in silence. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we bring before you this day our anxious minds and our weary hearts. In the busyness of our daily lives, we admit that we choose comfort and apathy over and concern. Forgive us for when we stop paying attention to you and your creation. Forgive us for when we ignore the cries of your people. And forgive us for when we do not make time to take in your glory and your presence. Open our eyes to the beauty and pain all around us. Give us energy to be peacemakers and disruptors of injustice in our daily lives and throughout the world. Show us your glory, O Lord, and bend our hearts toward one another. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. See, the old is gone and the new is come. God's mercies new every morning. Restore us and renew us in God's grace. So believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
epistle lesson today comes to us from the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. We read in the first chapter the first seven verses. Listen for the word of God to us this day. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering you before God, our Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you, because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of the persecution you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. We read now our gospel lesson from the 22nd chapter of Matthew, verses 15 to 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. May God bless to our hearing and our understanding this reading of God's holy word. Our Old Testament scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verses 12 through 23. Listen for God's word for you. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you also have found favor in my sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways, so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. He said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 
And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Show me your glory, I pray. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you the name the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, See, there is a place by me where you shall stand, and on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but you shall not see my face. This is the word of the Lord. Loving God, in the sacredness of this place, we ask that you would quiet every voice within us except your own and startle us with your truth. We offer all these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses does not appear to be in a good emotional place in our Exodus scripture passage for today. The pressure of leading this inconsistent, this untrusting, and perpetually grumbling congregation across the wilderness has worn him down and left him wondering if he should just pack it in. Duke Divinity Professor Ellen Davis describes this passage as the earliest recorded accounts we have of pastoral burnouts. Moses is only a few months into his 40-year journey alongside the ancient Israelites, and he has already endured a lot. He's challenged the Pharaoh, rained down plagues on Egypt, parted the Red Sea, secured food and water for his people, established a system of judges, and even convened a legal summit of the Lord on Mount Sinai. 
Most recently, he had to deal with the whole golden calf debacle by effectively destroying the idol, doling out punishments, and managing the Lord's red-hot anger against the people. Truly, there are a lot of competing interests for Moses to balance in his leadership position, and perhaps in this moment, he's beginning to feel like it's all too much for him to handle. As you read the passage, you can witness Moses' thinking begin to spiral. He says to the Lord, See, you have said to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. Yet you have said, I, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Moses repeats the words, you, 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 to the Lord as a way of wagging his finger at the divine, attempting to hold God to account. And look, the Lord could have been frustrated, could have been mad, but rather than being offended by Moses' accusation, I imagine the Lord meets the man's frustration with gentleness and compassion, recognizing that the Lord had a golden calf-inspired meltdown only a chapter before. The Lord attempts to assuage Moses' fears, saying, Okay, I promise my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. But Moses appears to be so wrapped up in his own overwhelm that he cannot hear the Lord, and he keeps hammering away at his own fears. Even though the Lord just told him that my presence will go with you, Moses again complains, But if your presence won't go with us, do not carry us up from here, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? And again, the Lord meets Moses in his panicked state and attempts to assure him, saying, Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. But still, Moses is too frantic to be able to take in what the Lord is saying. Moses feels the weight of this budding nation resting on his shoulders. He senses that he is being called out far beyond his own competence. He feels his fears, his frustrations, his lingering sense of inadequacy bubble up from within him until suddenly he blurts out a shockingly honest demand, look, Lord, just show me your glory, I pray. I imagine that even Moses is surprised that those words just tumbled out of his mouth with all of their bluntness and crudeness and complete lack of religious refinement. He just asked the God of all creation to effectively strut God's stuff in front of him, a private showing of the divine being. In all of Moses' stress and overwhelm about the people's future, he also appears to be searching for the assurance that the Lord and he are still close, that their conversations face to face will continue and that he will not be left to navigate this wilderness alone. Moses longs to know that the Lord will continue to abide with Israel, but he also longs to know that the Lord will continue to abide with him. 
a strange and intimate request. Show me your glory, I pray. And what is perhaps even more strange and surprising is that the Lord goes along with it. There are some stipulations and boundaries for the Lord's revelation to Moses. The Lord agrees to have God's goodness rather than God's glory pass before Moses. And, and Moses is only allowed to view part of the Lord's anthropomorphized presence and from a particular location. There is much to be said about what this passage has to teach us about God's being and God's physical form. But for me, Ellen Davis's thoughts are some of the most striking. She theorizes that the reason why God acquiesces to this shocking demand is because at the end of the day, our God is a perfect fool for love. She writes, God goes along with this request because, frankly, God is flattered. As big and mighty and sovereign as the Lord is, God still longs to be wanted, just like the rest of us. We are often most comfortable with viewing God as powerful or gracious or loving in a parental kind of way. But to see the God of heaven and earth as a being who longs for our attention, as a flatterable God, that is new territory for many of us. It is strange to view God as someone who would want or need or desire anything from us, but perhaps we limit God if we do not assume that God's own heart cannot be stirred by our divinely focused attention. I am enamored by how Austrian poet Rainer Maria Rilke converses with God in his Book of Hours, Love Poems to God. While our own prayers may focus on requests and confessions and possibly a few adorations sprinkled in, Rilke speaks to the, the divine like a concerned spouse who is worried whether God is eating enough up there in heaven. He writes, You, God, who lives next door, if at times through the night I trouble you with my urgent knocking, this is why. I hear you breathe so seldom. I know you're all alone in that room. If you should be thirsty, there's no one to get you a glass of water. I'll wait, listening always. Just give me a sign. I'm right here. I like the thought that part of my responsibility as a child of God is to check in on God and make sure they're doing okay from time to time. Not out of concern that God can't handle the universe that God created, but as a way of acknowledging the kind of God that we follow, a God who loves, a God who longs for love, a God of love. Our scripture passage for today explores this sacred practice of paying attention to God, of God's desire for and attention and appreciation of our human attention. Today's story also suggests that our own desire for attention may in fact be a divinely inspired desire. Perhaps we long for attention from others just as long God longs for attention from us. 
And I'm not talking about attention in terms of a, a person wishing for fame or romantic interest exactly, but, but rather I imagine attention as being rooted in a more existential desire. Perhaps our longing for attention reflects our created identity. We desire attention because we are a creation of God. And because we are a creation of God, we are therefore deserving of attention. For centuries, theologians have spoken of the importance of giving every created thing the attention, even the adoration that it deserves. For example, in the 14th century, Julian of Norwich pondered the value of a small rock that she found in her hand. She writes, I was amazed that it could last, for I thought that because of its littleness, it would suddenly have fallen into nothing. And I was answered by God in my understanding, saying this, It lasts and will continue to last, because God loves it. And thus everything has being through the love of God. More recently, American novelist Alice Walker described the importance of paying attention to the world in this way. She writes, I think it makes God mad if you walk by the color purple in a field somewhere and don't notice it. People think pleasing God is all that God cares about. But any fool in the world can see it always trying to please us back. Paying attention does not simply mean noticing a thing, but also approaching it with wonder, with appreciation, even with awe. Even more recently, the Australian children's show and philosophical masterpiece, Bluey, I watch it constantly as a mother of a 15-month-old, Bluey portrays a character coming to appreciate the world around him by paying attention to it. In the episode, Born Yesterday, the dad and his two daughters play a game where he pretends that the, everything in the world is new to him because he was, in fact, born yesterday. As the girls try to explain to their father what food is and how some things are alive and some things are not, and that he doesn't need to be afraid of the sun because it's meant to be there, the girls come to realize that it's simpler to let their imaginatively born yesterday father enjoy the world around them rather than trying to explain everything right away. By the end of this sweet seven-minute episode, the family stops playing the game, but the dad continues to admire the beautiful intricacy of a common leaf as though it were the first time he were truly seeing it. How often do we walk through our days without actually seeing the world around us? How much do we fail to notice while moving on autopilot? During my time at Broad Street Ministry, we would encourage our volunteers to look in the guests' eyes and speak directly to them as they serve them plates of food for lunch each day. We had learned that many of the BSM guests were victims of chronic homelessness and that while living on the streets, some people would go hours, even days, without another person acknowledging their presence. 
Some guests would even begin to question if they were real because of how many people would look past them as though they were not there. Speaking with unhoused people, looking directly at them and giving them our attention was a means of reconnecting this, these individuals with their humanity. They, too, are a creation of God, and they are therefore deserving of our attention. This practice of holy attention is not new to the Exodus story. In fact, it was God's willingness to pay attention to the cries of the Israelites in Exodus 1 and 2, and, and Moses' willingness to turn his attention to the burning bush in Exodus 3 that sets this liberation story in motion. What if God was too busy to hear the cries of the people? Or what if Moses was too distracted or too self-important to investigate the burning bush? The book of Exodus teaches us that liberation happens when we dare to pay attention. And look, I get it. The world is exhausting and overwhelming. The 24-hour news cycle is constantly bombarding us with tragedy after tragedy. But we can forget that oppression thrives when we stop paying attention when we become desensitized to the horrors in the world, when we become too numb, too apathetic, too bored to engage with our community around us, we resist the empires of the world when we let ourselves hear the cries of others, as difficult as that may be. It's interesting to me that Moses returned to this sacred practice of paying attention to God while in the midst of his pastoral breakdown. It's almost as though the story is teaching us that when we become too overwhelmed, the right response isn't always to disengage and take time for ourselves. When we are overwhelmed, sometimes the right response might be to dive in deeper, to focus our attention more sharply on God, on others, and on creation. Yes, God carved out boundaries in revealing the divine being to Moses, and yes, even Jesus was known to dis disappear up a mountaintop by himself from time to time. But I want us to remember that it is holy work to pay attention to the cries of others. In a world that values efficiency and multitasking above all, maybe God is inviting us to operate in another way where the most faithful thing we can do in the chaos and uncertainty of a moment is to be fiercely present for one another, to see each other, and to offer our attention. The holy work of paying attention asks us to hear the cries of modern Israelis as they mourn the brutal death of hundreds of people, and as they continue to desperately search for their kidnapped loved ones, we're also charged to pay attention to the millions of Palestinians who are going without food and water and who cannot find sanctuary from war, even in hospitals or churches. Acknowledge the rising temperatures and the environmental devastation across the globe. Do not turn your attention away to the Earth's cries out of boredom or disinterest or powerlessness. Listen. To your Jewish neighbors as they describe the anti-Semitism they have endured. 
listen to your Muslim neighbor tell you about experiences of bigotry and hate. Listen to the voices of women and non-binary people who continue to be treated as less than their male colleagues. Turn your attention toward your trans neighbors as they share about the violence and fear they counter, encounter every day. As Christians, we are called to be witnesses, and that includes to be witnesses to one another, to acknowledge the inherent value and wonder within each and every person, creature, and place. I say all of this to you, admittedly knowing that I'm going to struggle to practice what I preach on this one. In the midst of my own various pastoral meltdowns, I can easily default into the unhelpful practices of escapism and distraction, isolationism and self-comforting. I am regularly tempted to shut out the entire world when the cries of others become too much to handle. But it has been helpful for me during this past week to remember that one thing I can do to make a difference is offer someone or something or somewhere my undivided attention. I can do that for a time. And you can do that too. The longing for attention and the ability to offer it to other resides within our creaturely makeup after all. Friends, I believe this week we are being invited to listen to that inner voice urging us to go deeper to offer to one another the gift of our attention to a loved one, to a community, a place, a creature, or even God's spirit stirring inside you. Do not shy away from difficult topics, but commit ourselves to the important work of learning more, of doing something to amplify the voices that cannot be easily heard. The good news of this day is that by learning how to pay attention to one another, we learn how God pays attention to each of us. We are each held in wonder and awe by the God of the universe. May we go out in search of that wonder and awe. Amen.
having sung God's praise, having confessed our sin and received pardon, having heard the gospel read and proclaimed, with the confidence of children of God, let us affirm our faith. What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. God has given us all that we have. God has given us all that we need. Everything is a gift from God. So let us now worship God as we return our tithes and our offerings.
eternal God from whom all our blessings flow, you have gifted us with grace upon grace. And from all that you have given us, we return this portion as a commitment to love you, to follow you, and in so doing, to offer our attention to your people and your creation. Grant that we might continually be blessed as we see, as we truly see, your work in the world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us now continue to unite our hearts and our minds in prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, because you have made us in your image, we are made to be with and for one another. You, who are complete in love, nevertheless overflow with love, filling the universe with your goodness, blessing all life as we find our being in you. And having created us to love, you have called us in response to your grace to share your love, to offer our attention in word and in deed. So remembering your claim upon our lives, we bring our prayers to you. We pray for the good earth made lovingly by you and into which we were set as stewards. Teach us the ways of good care, of attention to all that you have made. Guide us that we might take what is needed, cultivate what is left, and ensure that the abundance of your creation is for all. We pray for those who lead this world in our own country and abroad. Your ways for creation are well known to us, that we should dwell in peace and well-being. And so for those who hold power and authority, we pray that they would know your peace and well-being so that they may lead with grace and mercy. We pray particularly this morning for the war-torn regions of the world, for the people of Ukraine who continue to endure aggression, for the people of Israel and Gaza, for the hostages, for those who mourn, and for those who are filled with rage. Only you can bring wholeness and shalom. And so we commend to your grace those places and people most in need of a greater measure of your love. For our own government, we pray for wisdom and discernment, kindness and compassion. For our own city, we pray for awareness of the needs of those who cry out for release. We pray particularly for the victims of violence and gun violence in particular. And for your church, we pray that your spirit would dwell among us and within us, comforting us and disrupting us, each in the measure that we need. 
For all of these prayers we offer in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
what would it look like if we gave the person, the creature, the issue, the community in front of us the gift of our attention? This is our challenge and our work this week. As we go out into this day to share this good news, I charge you to be of good courage, to hold fast unto all that is good. Render unto no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the afflicted, and honor all of God's people, even as you love and serve the Lord. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen.